about honor. And uh, one of the number one things that God in his word says to honor is his word. And um, so I want to talk about words. I'll be honest with you, I don't have the full layout of where I want to go in the next several weeks as we are discussing this. There's several different ways we can go. We're going to talk about the power of words. We're going to talk about what your words can do. But I also want to talk about God's word. And I want to talk about the power of his word in your life. And I want to talk about uh, what his word can do for you. Um, his word, the Bible says that his words are to be uh, heard, they're to be obeyed, they're to be followed, they're to be spoken, adhered to. Uh, he says, hide my word in your heart, meditate on my word. So there's different things that we want to take time to look at uh, in discussing words. But today, as I normally do at the beginning of any series, I'm going to lay some foundations and structure and kind of uh, just be a little introductory today. And um, so I have a few passages I want to look at. I want to start with Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And you know, we're a kingdom church. And uh, we place value and uh, a priority on God's kingdom. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, in verse 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. In verse 4 it says, Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? It says, where the word of the king is. I want to focus on that first part of the verse. Where the word of the king is, there is power. We know that God is a king. And he has a kingdom. He has a heavenly kingdom that Jesus talked about, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And he wanted to extend that kingdom to the earth. And so this realm he originally intended to look like heaven, and he placed us, man, in charge of the earth as kings. And so he's saying, where the word of the king is, there is power. The first thing we have to understand, the first point I want to make in beginning this series, is that words are the most powerful entity in a kingdom. A king is built on his words, and the power of a king lies in what he says. Um, in the original uh, structure of a kingdom, what a king said became law automatically. If a king declared something or if a king you know, said something, it became the law. That meant that's what the people lived by, off of his words. And they couldn't be changed. You, the, the king even himself couldn't go back and change what he said. He couldn't go back and retract that. He couldn't put... Uh, you know, something else in place to override that. There was a time, uh, you may remember in the book of Daniel, where Daniel himself, he was praying before God. And there were some people that didn't like that. And they went to the king and they tricked him. And they said, there's a man named Daniel and he's actually giving honor and service and uh, more priority to someone greater than you. And so we need to make a law that says that no one in this region uh, is allowed to worship or pray to anybody besides you, the king. And so the king said, well, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I mean, I'm the king. I'm the highest one. I'm, you know, over everybody. That sounds all right to me. And he didn't realize that they were tricking him and saying, yeah, that means you couldn't even pray to God. And so the king made the law. 
decreed it across the land. You can pray, you cannot bow, and you cannot honor anybody else higher than me. I am the king. You pray and bow to me, you worship me, you honor me. Well, Daniel, knowing his position with him and his God, who was his king, said, I, I can't go back on that. I mean, I'm going to continue praying to my God. That's my king. That's who I honor. That's who I pray to. That's who I worship. And so he kept doing it. He would, he would go up into his house and open the windows and pray right there at the window where everyone could see him. Well, sure enough, this got to the king. But the problem was there became a dilemma here because the king and Daniel, they were good friends. So Daniel was, uh, Daniel was a great asset to the king. Uh, when Daniel went into this region of Babylon, uh, he, was, he was helping kings. He was interpreting dreams. He was a, a huge benefit to the king. And the king didn't want to put Daniel in prison. And the place that he had declared anybody would go if they did this was to a lion's den. But the king declared a law. There was nothing he could do about it. So he ended up having to put his best friend, someone who he honored, someone who he valued in his life, and he had to throw him in a lion's den. What am I saying? I'm saying that the king declared a law that even though he was tricked and even though he didn't want to do it, and he told Daniel, he said, I believe your God can save you. I believe your God will save you. Pray to your God and ask him to save you because I've declared law. There's nothing I can do about it. And he had to throw Daniel in the lines. Then we know that God ended up sending angels, shutting the mouths. When the king, who didn't sleep at all that night, went back the next morning, found Daniel alive. And then he had to change the law because a king higher than him showed up and made manifestation. There's nothing, there's nothing you can say to that. And so he said, we're going to change the law that no one, that you are to pray and honor, pray to and honor God. Why? Because God showed up and made a manifestation that was higher than his realm of authority. But at that time, that was, he was the highest authority, and he couldn't change it. Why? Because his words have power. In a kingdom, words are the most powerful things. Words are the most powerful things that we have because we're kingdom citizens. We live now in the kingdom of God. And words are how we drive this thing. Words are how we make this thing happened. Go to um, Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, it puts an emphasis here on the tongue, but the tongue can do different things. The tongue can taste. The, the tongue can be used for different you know, uses, but the use that it's talking about here is the ability of the tongue to make words, to pronounce words. He's saying death and life are in the power of the tongue because the words that you speak with that tongue create the death and the life. He's saying whenever you speak, whenever you open your mouth, you're either speaking life or you're speaking death. And so we have to understand that with our mouths and with our words, we are making things happen whether we realize it or not. 
because we are now operating according to a kingdom. We're now operating according uh, to a system where our words make things happen around us. They're creating things. Go to Genesis. This is where uh, we see things really start to happen with words. Genesis chapter 1. And I'm just kind of going to go through Genesis chapter 1 here, and I'm just going to highlight different verses. But we know verse 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Well, how did God create the heavens and the earth? Well, verse 3 it says, then God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. But that wasn't the only time. Verse 6 says, then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Verse 9, then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, the fruit that yields. So God spoke again. Verse 14 says, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from night. So we're seeing a pattern. Verse 20 again. God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Now get on down to verse 26. This is the verse that we've looked at re repetitively before. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have Dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And we know that God created man in his own image, in his own likeness. We see that God created and formed the world with words. That was the power of God's words in his mouth. That was the power of his word. When he spoke, he created things. But it didn't stop there because then he created man. And when he created man, he created man in his image and in his likeness. That means you have the same character, the same characteristics, and the same qualities. Why? Because what God was wanting to, to try to do was to create man. What he did do was create man in his likeness and image so he could have his same abilities. So he's saying, I have the ability to speak and create worlds. I, he created the entire universe. The Bible says everything you see and everything you cannot see was created by God. Everything. The, 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 the places we're trying to explore and, and the places we're trying to see how far we can get, the planets we're trying to go to and trying to get beyond this universe, all that stuff that we haven't even discovered yet, God already created it. He put it into place, but he did it all with his words, then created man, put him on the planet, and said, the same ability I have with my words, you have with your words. Now, he's not saying that you can go and say, let there be a tree, or let there be this, and let there be that. If you want a nice tree in your front yard or your backyard, you can't just say, let there be, and it happens. But what he's saying is you are shaping and forming worlds with your words. The second point I want to make is your words create your world. Your words 
create your world. And to some of you, this may be uh, stuff you've heard before, especially if you've been in the faith message um, and you've heard those, you know, blab it, grab it, name it, claim it type stuff. There's truth to that. There's truth to that, and we'll go there. We'll go there. Because God designed us in his image and in his likeness to where what we speak is shaping our lives and creating our world. You know this. If you just speak negative things all the time, you're going to feel negative about life, and you're going to feel down, and you're going to feel sad. I just, I don't have any friends. I, I can't find a job. I'm just not happy. If, if those are the, literally the words coming out of our mouths, uh, that person's complexion is not going to be very happy. That person is, is not going to be someone that, uh, you know, is excited about life and is smiling all the time and is just, really, those people aren't really great to be around. <laughs> you know that. You don't want to hang out with those people that just, you know, Debbie Downers, man. They're just always talking about how horrible it is and how sad it is. And a lot of that is shaped by what they're saying. Because I know people. I know people on both sides. I know people that have great lives and really have nothing to worry about. But they see the news. And what they do is they bring everything that's happening in the world to their world. And because it's happening in another country or because, uh, you know, the economy's down or because they're hearing all this terrible news, all of a sudden they relate it to their world when really it, the connection's not fully there. Yeah, I may live in the United States and there's different things that are going on, but I, I know people, I mean, I, I've read stories even during the Great Depression of people that were turning businesses around and making money. But when we think Great Depression, we're not thinking about people that are making a lot of money. And, but there are, there are people that took those sad situations and turned them into their profit because lands were being sold for next to nothing. People that had businesses were selling all their stuff away. Uh, uh, Hewlett Packard started during the Great Depression in someone's garage because he got a hold of machinery equipment that other people were selling for nothing because their businesses were in the drain. They lost everything. And so there were people that took that situation, changed the perspective of it, and brought something out of it. And now we know HP is one of the greatest computer manufacturers there is right now, born out of the Great Depression. When he could have said, well, I mean, I guess we're not going to make any money now. This is a bad time to start a business. And he said, no, this is the perfect time to start a business. But we know people on both ends that have stuff and really don't have anything to worry about, but they talk themselves into depression and talk themselves into sad situations. But I know people that may even be in tight situations, but they, you wouldn't know it if you were hanging around them. They're speaking, they're speaking life, and they're just, you know, we're going to make it. We're going to come out of this, and they're happy people to be around, and you wouldn't know that they're going home and wondering how they're going to make it the next day. You wouldn't, under, you wouldn't know. People that have gone bankrupt, and they're just, they have a positive outlook, and it's because of what they're speaking. It's because of what they're speaking. God has designed man with the ability to shape and create your world with your words. And this is a serious thing, because our words is probably one of the things that we pay the least attention to. Really is. If we really, if we could record ourselves all day long and then go back and listen to it, you know, we'd probably, oh man, I probably, 
shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have talked about that. Well, that's why I felt that way about that. Well, if we could go back and listen to ourselves, we'd probably, you know, we need we got to pay attention to what we're saying because man has been designed with the ability that your words mean something. And we've really taken value off of that. Even each other. We don't even take each other at their word anymore. Because so many people have let us down or they promised to do things for us and they didn't follow through. They promised to give us things and it didn't show up or they, they promised or said they're going to do this, but they didn't keep their word. And so we don't place value on words anymore. Oh, well, that's just what they're saying. That's just what they're saying. Because people are all talk, but nothing behind it. But God is wanting to show us that our words are to steer our lives. They're to draw our lives and so i got to show you the power of words when we get later on in this series because i know we'll go here and we start talking about the power of god's word and we start talking about what god has already said and talk, start talking about what god's words can do in our lives you got to understand that his words are valuable because if you view god's words like someone else's words somebody that's let you down and someone that's failed you then you're going to put god's words in that same perspective and say well, sure, he promised me healing, but I don't see it. Sure, he promised me that I can, uh, you know, have financial prosperity, but it's not happening. Is he, I mean, that's just, that's just his word. I mean, he's just saying that. And so we can't tie God's words and put them in the same category we put everybody else's words. We can't view it that way. We've got to know, man, when God says something, it has to happen. If you adhere to it, if you obey it. I mean, he told Joshua, here's how you'll have success. Here's how you'll make your way prosperous. Meditate in my word day and night. He didn't say if you work hard enough, if you save up enough, if you conquer enough countries, then, you know, you'll be successful and prosperous. No, he says if you just meditate on my word, place value on my word, honor my word. And then these things will follow. That's how you get true success. And Joshua had to take him at his word, and he had to go back every time and say, wait a minute, if I'm going to be successful, if I'm going to be prosperous, if I'm going to do everything I'm supposed to do, then I'm going to need to honor God's word. I'm going to need to meditate on his word. That's what he said would make me success successful. That's what he told me would bring out a prosperous life. Look at this over in Mark chapter 11. You create your world with your words. And in Mark chapter 11, verse 22 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Jesus is speaking, and Jesus answered his disciples, said to them, Have faith in God. That can also be translated, have the God kind of faith, or have the faith of God. Okay? Verse 23, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed, and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. He's telling his disciples here, let me tell you how faith works. Faith works based upon what you're saying. And he's saying, he's using a mountain because he was in a mountainous region. He's pointing to mountains and saying, this is a, a, an illusion of your problems. This is what your problems look like. They look like huge mountains in your life. 
And he says, if you want to move your mountain, you got to speak to it. you got to say something. This is one of the things that I learned. It's probably one of the, the greatest truths that I learned as a child was what I say can steer things and shape things in my life. And if I have problems in my life, I can get them out of the way by speaking. And I learned as a young child that I needed to speak things. And I needed to say things. I mean, even motivational speakers have gotten a hold of this. In just a natural, worldly light, that if you can, if you can speak differently, if you can say di- things differently, that your outlook would change and your world would change. People that uh, help people that are in business, in leadership, And if you only look at what you have around you and you're only talking about what's around you or how bad it is, then you won't get anywhere. Just naturally speaking, if we remove the whole God and faith thing out of the way and you find yourself just speaking positive things, it'll change your world. But now when we add God to it, now when we get faith into it, and he says, do not doubt in your heart, but he said, believe what you say. So the saying comes before the believing. You got to speak it first. But here's what Jesus is saying in this situation. He's saying you got problems, you got mountains, you got things in your life that need to be removed, that need to be relocated, that need to be moved out of your way. He's saying if your mouth isn't moving, your mountain isn't moving. He's saying if your mouth isn't moving, then your mountain's not moving. And we ought to be in the mountain relocating business. And he's saying that you've got to get your mouth speaking one thing before your mountain starts going anywhere, before your problems start diminishing, before things start changing. You just got to start speaking something different. And I'm going to show you throughout this series what we need to be speaking because there's specific things we need to be saying. But we've got to change how we're speaking. We've got to change how we're talking. Well, man, I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to find someone that's going to love me. I don't think this marriage is ever going to get fixed. I don't know if my kids are ever going to get it. I don't think I'm ever going to find that job. This building, th- this business isn't ever going to grow. And so we've got to find ourselves changing what we're saying. And we have to speak it by faith. He didn't say speak it when you see it. He said, speak it before you see it. In that last verse, in verse 24, he says that when you pray, believe that you receive it. See, that's what, I remember Kenneth E. Hagin, he he would say this about anything that you're believing God for, anything that you're praying. He says, "I, I, I pray once. I only ask him once. And then I thank him the rest of the time. Because why do I need to go back and ask him for it if I believe I received it when I asked the first time? You know, my son, if he, if he were to come to me, you know, when he's older and he says, hey, Dad, can I have $5? And I give him $5. And then he comes back and says, hey, Dad, can I have $5? I'm thinking, I just gave you $5 unless you already spent it. But if he's holding the $5 bill and he has the $5, then he doesn't need to come back and ask me because he's got it. He's received it. He received it when he asked for it. Uh, The thing I'm going to be looking for is 
Thank you, Dad, for the $5. Thank you. Thank you. And we get, we, we're in this habit of we pray and we pray and we pray. And the second prayer is almost in doubt that when we asked the first time, it didn't happen. But in this verse, he says, when you pray, ask, or when you ask in, in prayer, believe that you receive it when you pray. Believe that you receive when you pray, not believe that you receive when you receive. And that's what we do. We wait for it. And I'll tell you right now, we don't receive it naturally. We receive it spiritually. See, right now, if, I'm, if I have sickness in my body, say, you know, I, I've got a cold going on. I'm coughing and, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. And I pray and I say, Father, I thank you that you have made healing available for my body through what your son did on the cross. He took stripes on his back that I don't have to endure sickness, that I don't have to uh, have this control my body. So I thank you right now, and I ask you to remove this sickness from my body. In Jesus' name, amen. I may still be coughing. I may still have the congestion. I may still have the headaches and the achiness going on. But now I move over to thank you, Father, for healing me. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you that this healing is taking manifestation in my body. Why? Because I believe that I received when I prayed, not when I don't have to blow my nose anymore and not when I'm not coughing stuff up and not when I'm achy. We have to believe we receive when we pray and then our speaking, our words fall in line with that. Because if, if I really believe that I receive when I pray, I wouldn't need to go back and say, Father, I ask you that you take this sickness away from my body. Father, I ask you that this and this and this. Because God's now saying, wait a minute, I already gave you healing. I already provided that for you. You just need to take manifestation in your body. And then it's a matter of how relentless will you be? Because here's the thing, and, and this is, the, the speaking is the, is the strongest thing. The speaking is the most important thing because I know I've prayed for people in, in, in services and prayed for healing or, you know, anything, financial lack or, uh, you know, re restoration in the marriage, whatever it is. And we pray, and I have this same conversation. Now, when we prayed, we believe we receive it when we prayed. So now you go out of here, and your confession now is, thank you, Father, I praise you, I worship you, I thank you that that's already mine. I thank you that it comes to pass. I thank you that it happens in my life. But then after a while, we come off of that. Why? Because the symptoms are still there, or a wife is still treating me like trash, or I, I still can't seem to pay my bills, or whatever. And then we change, we come off, and then our confession goes back. Well, I don't know if I'm ever going to get over this. I don't know if this is ever going to come in alignment. I don't know if she's ever going to love me. And so the confession changed, and your confession shapes the world. So now we're back in that world again. The world we're shaping is back into the negative, and I don't know if it's going to happen, and I don't see it. And it's a matter of being relentless in your pursuit and saying, no, I don't care. You know, that, that's why, you know, when... when I see people that go in the hospital or if I visit someone in the hospital, I, I hate to see the TV on. 
I, I, I do. I hate to see the TV on because I'm thinking, man, we're battling for something here. We're fighting for something. And we've got, you know, Jerry Springer's going. <laughs> I'm thinking it, what it is is it's a distraction and we can't apply a confession. You're not saying anything because you're sitting there watching. And it may seem harmless and meaningless, but we need to have something that's putting faith in us and then we find ourselves speaking it back out. That's the only thing we need to be doing. Because then it becomes a question of, well, how bad do we want it? How bad are you willing to fight for it? How bad are you willing to hang on to see this thing come to pass? And it may be a week. It may be two weeks. It may be a month. And, and today's day and age is completely different. You look at you know, Jesus and his disciples, they're performing miracles instantly, immediately. And today we have so many, uh, I just firmly believe it's just distractions. We have so many things that can get you off of the word, get you off of your confession. And again, if we could record ourselves, it would surprise us, the things that we say. And so we've got to place value on our words. In Matthew chapter 8, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, there's a quick story here of Jesus. And he comes into contact with a centurion. And again, we're kingdom citizens. And we've been talking about the authority on, of the believer on Wednesdays. And if you can get here, man, you need, to, you need to get those messages. If you can't get here, you need to be here to hear the word because it's phenomenal. It's identifying who we are in Christ. It's identifying why we're here, what we're supposed to be doing, and, and how we accomplish that, what Jesus did, the authority that we have. Most Christians and most believers don't associate their lives with authority. They associate their lives with getting to go to heaven one day. But in this earth, we've been given authority to cause things to happen and make things happen. And one of the ways that we do that is with our words. And Jesus here comes into contact with a centurion who understands authority. He's part of the Roman army, and he understands that when I say something, someone has to do it. And I understand that I'm under authority, and when someone tells me something, I have to do it. And so watch what happens here in verse 5. Now, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority. Isn't it interesting that the centurion uh, related himself to Jesus as being a man under authority? Isn't that interesting? What about Jesus was so authoritative? Yet when we talk about Christians, we, we, don't, uh, we don't relate ourselves to authority. But Jesus carried himself in such a way and spoke in such a way that someone who recognized authority saw him as, you're a man in authority just like I'm a man in authority. This is a Roman centurion. This is a man that can lead legions of armies at the, at the sound of a word. 6,000 men can follow his order. And he says, you are just like me. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. That's why we have to understand this authority thing. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers 
under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. He said, this man is representing the greatest faith I've ever seen. This is Jesus speaking. You want Jesus to look at you and say, you have the greatest faith I've ever seen. And I say to you that many will come from east and west, sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, notice that the centurion revealed what he believed by what he said. He said, Jesus said, I know what you believe is going to happen because of what you said is going to happen. So as you have believed, so let it be done. And his servant was healed that same hour. The same hour. So we have this understanding that the words that we're using show our authority. They reveal what's in our heart. The Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's a revelation of what's in you based upon what's coming out of you. And so we've got to make sure that what is in us is, is what is coming out. We've got to make sure that the words that we're speaking is revealing what's really inside of us. So then it seems to me that where we need to start is what are we putting in us? What, what's taking place inside of us? Because that's what's coming out, and that's what's shaping our worlds. That's what's creating the world. That's what's creating uh, the universe around us. Just as God created the entire earth, and we have authority in our words. I like to put it this way. You know, if the president of the United States, uh, you know, if he gives, if he realizes we need to go to war, now, we have bases and we have military posts all over this nation. We've got them overseas in other countries. And if he wants to activate those men to go to war, he doesn't have to show up personally on the scene at every military base and say, and go to each individual person and say, I need you to go to battle. I need you to go to battle. I need you to go. He doesn't even do it with the platoons. You know what he does? He gives the command, and it's carried out to every post. And if they don't follow orders, they're breaking the law. There's a problem. Because the president, the authority, has just given his word and spoken and said, we need you over here, and you have to go. That's the power of words. That's the power of words when they're spoken from an authoritative presence. Well, we have that authority. I started off by saying that words are the most powerful, is the most powerful entity in a kingdom. And we live in a kingdom, which means that our words are creating something. Our words are doing something in the kingdom of God. And so we've got to understand, look, there, there are forces that are trying to stop what is happening in the kingdom of God. There are forces that are trying to stop 
what is going on in your realm. Whether you realize it or not, there are forces that are trying to keep money from getting to you. There are forces that are trying to keep your business from prospering. There are forces that are trying to keep uh, health away from your family. There are forces that are trying to tear apart your marriage. There are forces that are working to do these things. But we have the authority. We have the authority of the king backing us. We have the king's authority behind us that is changing those situations, that is causing those things not to happen or causing things to happen with our words. We ought to be people identified just like the Roman centurion identified Jesus saying, you're a man of authority, just like I'm a man of authority. The same way that I can speak a word and command thousands of men to act, you have that same power. And God created all of us that way. We know this, that Jesus was a, uh, he's a picture of what man was supposed to look like and what man was supposed to do on the earth. I mean, why do you think, uh, you know, I, I've said this before, that one of the first job assignments that God gave to Adam was to name the animals. Why didn't God do it? Because God had already carried out a decree, just like I started in the beginning, that when a king says something, he can't go back on it. Well, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God declared that man was the governing authority in the earth. Which means you have to have a spirit, soul, and body to operate here in the earth. God doesn't have a body. He is spirit. And we know he has a soul because the Bible says that he thinks. The Bible says that he feels. That's what the soul does. The mind, the will, and the emotions. And we know God has a will. So he's got a soul realm and he's got a spirit because the Bible says that God is a spirit and we will worship him in spirit and in truth. But he doesn't have a flesh suit like you and I, which means God being a king. And when he said you have to have a flesh, that's why when your flesh dies, your spirit doesn't hang around here. It doesn't say, well, you know, I kind of like the earth a little bit. I just want to stay there a little bit longer. No, as soon as you lose your flesh, the spirit goes somewhere else because it has no right to be here. And so God declared, made a decree, put into law that if, if you are going to have control in the earth, you have to have flesh. That's why he had to send his son Jesus in the flesh. He couldn't send himself down to redeem mankind on his own without housing it in flesh. And I put it this way, if God had created Adam on any other day of creation, Adam would have done the rest of creation. If he, if, if he would have created Adam, say, on the fourth day before there was cattle on the earth, then Adam would have been the one to say, let there be uh, every form of cattle. Let the earth bring forth every form of cattle. If, if he had created uh, Adam before he created the stars, then Adam, it would have been up to Adam to say, let there be stars in the sky. Why? Because he declared that man has the authority through his words, and it would have been up to Adam to finish the rest of that project. But no, God created it up to then, and then after, after day six, that was it. Now man has the authority. Now man, man's words can now shape things. And so this happened multiple times. 
And so we've got to understand this transition of words. We've got to understand what these words do in our lives because there's times where uh, in, in our lives that we have said the wrong things or we haven't stuck to a confession. And we'll go there because that's what Mark 11, chapter 22, Mark 11 says that if you have faith, if you do not doubt in your heart, you will have what you say. This isn't a, a blab it, grab it message. This isn't name it, claim it. And we'll put it in alignment. But if there is something you're needing in your life, or if there's something you're lacking, if there's something that you need to shape and form, it's not happening without you moving your mouth. It's not happening without you using words. We have to understand that our words are creating and shaping everything around us. If you're looking for financial uh, prosperity, you have to start speaking to your money and start calling it. If you're looking for healing in your body, it's not going to come if you shut your mouth. That's why, uh, you know, um, I, 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 I hate medication. I hate medication because, especially pain medication, because one of the first things it does is it knocks you out and you can't confess anything. Man, if I go to the hospital, I'm going to do everything I can to stay off the stuff because I want to be in a position where my mind is coherent and I'm able to move my mouth in alignment with God's word because the enemy wants your mouth shut. He wants you to be incoherent. He wants you to be in a different mind and in different sorts. Because that's the longer that that sickness and that disease can take place in your body and run its course. Because he knows as long as you're moving your mouth, he's losing. If you're not moving your mouth, you're not moving your mountain. And we've all got mountains. We've all got problems. Adam and Eve had a problem. They had a snake in the garden. God never said we would be without problems. He just said, I've given you every resource to take care of every problem that's in your life. So we got to start moving our mouths. And so we're going to take these next few weeks to discover words, discover God's word. Because here's, the, here's another cool thing. God's word in his mouth is just as powerful as his word in your mouth. And we don't realize that. That when we speak, it's just as powerful as God speaking. In fact, when you speak God's word, he shows up. You want to get God on the scene? You want to get God in your finances? You want to get God in your home? You want to get God in your body? Start speaking his word, and he shows up. Because where the word of the king is, there is power. Amen? Father, we thank you for this time to be able to discover your words and i thank you for these next few weeks that our hearts and minds will be prepared open receptive to your word because hearing your word meditating on your word obeying your word following your word speaking your word father that is that's the most valuable thing in our lives it's the most powerful thing in the kingdom and we want to put it to use we've had the greatest tool we've had the greatest resource at our disposal and we have failed to use it but, Father, no longer. We will uh, continue to enact your word, speak your word, make your word about available because when we speak your word, we bring you on the scene. We bring your power on the scene, and we begin to shape 
our lives, and our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.